to just see how, you know, such were some of us. You know, we were that sheep out in the middle of the Israeli desert, you know, out there lost, confused, heartbroken. And yet the Lord sought us out. He, he didn't wait for us to come back to the fold. He went after us, and, and he's still doing that, even for believers today. You know, God is reaching out, and he's always seeking. Certainly he's seeking the lost, but he's also seeking to, to bring all of us, those of us who are, even as Christians, we, we, we can at times walk away and, and, and maybe are curious about something and we're not completely devoted. We're, we're, we're still wrestling with things. And, and you notice how that shepherd, one thing that really blessed me is, you know, the sounds he was making. We'll talk more about that today. Trying to get, you know, getting the, sheep, uh, getting the sheep's attention. Knowing that sheep. Probably this is not the first time that that sheep has gone astray. He knew that sheep very well. And notice when he finally found the sheep, he didn't go up to it and start whacking it with a stick. He wasn't yelling at the sheep. Do you see how he just went up to the sheep and just, you know, petted it and, and loved on it? And that's the way the Lord does to us. You know, that's, that's how he treats us. He doesn't browbeat us. He doesn't, he doesn't come after us with a stick. And many of you have been chased after with a stick. Maybe it was another church. Maybe it was a, an employer. Maybe it was a parent who came after you with a rod. And yet for all of us who know Christ, we, can, we understand his gentle kindness toward us and how he has been toward us. And I want to encourage you in that, especially as we read the passage today. We'll probably be in this passage for two weeks because there's a lot here and it's just so wonderful to consider how he comes after us. He comes after us. You know, if I were God and I had, and, and after all that God has done for each one of us, wouldn't you agree that he doesn't owe us anything? But after all that he's already done, and then to have us wayward and walking away from him and, and not completely submitted to him, if I were God, and I'm glad I'm not because God is perfect and I am not, and neither are any of us, but if I were God, I would just say, you know what, if that's the path you've chosen, then see ya. You know, but he doesn't do that. Even when we walk away, he's going after us. He's going after us. And be encouraged by that because you may be wayward right now. You may be off the beaten path. You may be completely lost this morning. But know that God is going to come after you because he loves you. He's not coming to discipline you. He's coming to love on you. And he's loved on me over these years. And I was a wayward son. I was lost in my sin before I came to Christ. And even as a son... Now, there are times, and, and you're probably no different than I am, you just you kind of get distracted and you go off, and that sheep was distracted and off, alone. Look with me at John chapter 10. We're going to read, we're going to look at just the first 21 verses, Lord willing, today. I don't know that we'll get through all of it, but let's just read the first 21 verses to get the idea behind this passage. John chapter 10. And again, remember that this is right on the cusp. And in fact, when you look at the chapter break there, it's kind of, a, um, it's not a good chapter break. In fact, let's start at verse 35 of the previous chapter because what happens in chapter 10 is a continuation of what happened in chapter 9. And what happened in chapter 9, we saw that that man who was blind, 
Remember Jesus uh, spit and put the, the stuff in his eyes, the, 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 the ground, and, and he says, go wash in the pool of Siloam, and he did, and he was seeing, and he was born blind, he'd never seen before, and now he comes seeing, and now the religious community, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders, they're taking offense to the fact that Jesus healed this man on the Sabbath, and then they begin to question the man, were you really born blind, or is this some kind of big act? Did Jesus pay you to do that? You know, there was a lot of speculation about whether this guy was really genuine. And certainly his parents vouched for the fact, yes, this is our son, he's blind. And the Pharisees were just livid because they had no power. By this time, you know, they were so caught up in their ritual and their, and their serving themselves, really, that they, they, were, they ceased to be what God wanted them to be. God wanted them to be shepherds of Israel, but instead they became false shepherds. They became false teachers. They became consumed with self rather than others. That's why they couldn't rejoice with the blind man who had lost his sight. But picking up in verse 35, because remember, this, is, this narrative is going right on into chapter 10. If that chapter break wasn't there, we would do much better. But we, the translators put that there so that we can identify passages. But notice with me in verse 35 of chapter 9, it says, Jesus heard that they had cast this blind man out of the synagogue, and when he had found them, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? And he answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and it is he who was talking with you. And then he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him, notice. And Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, and those who do not... See, may see um, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may be made blind. And then some of the Pharisees noticed who were with him, heard these things, and said to him, Are we blind also, taking offense to this? And Jesus said to him, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, We see, therefore your sin remains. Most assuredly, Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, and I believe he's speaking to these Pharisees. He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, who, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will not by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep, and all who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door, and if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy, and I have come that they may have life and that they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd, Jesus says. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep, but a hireling who is not of the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming, leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. But I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. 
And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them I also must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Let's just stop right there. So, Father, we just thank you, Lord, for this passage, and we ask, Lord, that you would just uh, open it to us and encourage us in it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Did you know that you are a flock? (laughs) That we are all the flock of God? We are. Israel was the flock originally. But when Jesus came to die for the sin of the world, he would die for not only just the Jews, the original flock, the, the, the main flock, but he would die for us Gentiles. Anyone who is not a Jew is a Gentile. And he died for the Gentiles. And the Jews and the Gentiles together comprised what we know as the church. We, the church, made up of Jew and Gentile. And he died for us all. And Jesus said that he came not for just that flock, but he came for, there's also another flock that must come and enter the fold. And it would be the church. But the church would be made up of Jew and Gentile. Let's go back to verse 1. There's something about this passage that really ministers to my heart just because of the way that I've noticed how the Lord has ministered to me over the years and how I've been ministered to. I can relate to this idea of being a sheep and I can also relate to the idea of being a shepherd. But there's one shepherd. I'm just an under-shepherd and many of us are under-shepherds. But there's one who is the good shepherd. We know who his name is. His name is Jesus. He is the good shepherd. Notice in verse 1, Most assuredly I say to you, he who does not enter the sheep, or the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. When you look at a sheepfold, uh, it's very interesting because it's made up of a door in the, in the, in the front where there is no possible way to get in any other way. And there's rocks built up all around enclosing the sheep in the sheep fold. And the reason for this is obvious. At night when the sheep go in, they, they, they don't, you know, the shepherd doesn't want his sheep to be attacked by bears and wolves and leopards and, and, and all kinds of other things that would be prey, that would prey on sheep. And so God puts, you know, uh, the shepherd puts up a a wall around them. And notice where he lays. He lays right there at the door. He lays there at the door. There's nothing that can get in without him being aware of it and knowing it. This is another um, picture, if you will, of, of another sheepfold. And right there in the front, you can see that there, that's where the shepherd would be with his staff and with his rod to protect the sheep. And the sheep are protected. And God has protected us. All we, like sheep, have gone astray, but we have come back into the fold of God. Amen? In fact, we are the sheep of God, right? Everybody, you know. We are, we're all sheep. And you know what? Sheep are defenseless. Have you ever looked at the teeth of a sheep? There's nothing about them. I mean, they're the most defenseless animal in all the world. They can't bite I mean, they don't bite. They can't bite. They don't bite. I mean, they eat and they sleep and they do that other thing, and that's about all they do. That's what they do. Defenseless. They need somebody looking after them. 
I need somebody looking after me. And I'm so thankful that even before I came to Christ, before you came to Christ, there was one who was already looking after you. How many times can we say as an unbeliever, I know I've got many instances where I can say that I should have been killed. There have been instances where I was at the wrong place at the wrong time, and had I been just seconds earlier, seconds later, a calamity, a great calamity, would have caused probably my life. And yet God was looking out for me. Can you all attest to things like that? He was looking out for you. He is your shepherd. Whether you choose to believe it or not, even as an unbeliever, he was shepherding me. The Spirit of God was coming alongside of me, wooing me, if you will, bringing me to Christ. That one day I would say, uh, I'm your sheep and I'm so glad to be in your pasture. So glad to be looked after by you. And are you glad to be looked after by God? Because Jesus, folks, listen to me, he loves you. He knows all about your past. He knows everything that you're involved in now, whether in it, you know, voluntarily, willingly, or even unwillingly. He, he knows everything, and yet, you know what? His love for you will never end. His love for you will never cease. In fact, the Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's the kind of God, that's the Savior, that's the shepherd that we have overseeing our lives, knowing everything about us. He can't learn anything more. He knows everything. That's scary to me, but also very reassuring. Because no matter what, I know he's got me covered. And he's looking after me. But he said, most assuredly, I say, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. Notice the sheepfold, again, as a place of, of protection or habitation. This is symbolic of heaven, if you will, or everlasting life. When we are in the fold, we are in Christ, and thus we are bound for glory. We are secure. Our habitation is set because it's something that he does, not that I do. And notice that the only way in is through the door, and Jesus is the door. Is there anybody big and bad enough to get by Jesus? Can Satan himself say, hey, move over, I'm going in. Hey, listen, Satan is a created being. He has no power over God. He has no power over Jesus. He, Jesus, is all-powerful. No one can tell him what to do. But he is the door. And there's any other way of entering is not valid, and as, and as a result will not be allowed. There's no other way to get into the fold, to, to have eternal life, to be into heaven. There's no other way but through the door, through Jesus. He said, I am the door. There's no other way. There's no other religion. Do you understand? It's a very narrow path. It's a very simple thing. There's no other way, whether you're a Jehovah's Witness, whether you're a Mormon, whether you are part of Islam, whether you're a Buddhist, whether you're in the New Age movement, whether you believe in evolution, or anything else, it doesn't matter. All those things are ways trying to get into the sheepfold, but Jesus says there's no other way but through me. I am the door, he says. Hey, he makes the rules. It's through him. Because no other world religion has had to deal with what Jesus has dealt with. He's, he's dealt with the sin issue. No other world religion deals with the sin issue that much. I mean, they may be moral, they may have a moral code, but no one has died for you like Jesus died. He went before us as the good shepherd. And this pen that we are in, I'm so glad that I'm in the fold of God. What is it? It's a boundary. It's a narrow way. Only through the door are we able to enter 
What does Jesus say in Matthew 7? Enter by the narrow gate. It's a very narrow thing. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. There are many who go by it because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way. It is difficult, isn't it? Do you find that your Christian walk is a piece of cake? Do you find that there's no battles? Do you find that everything is just hunky-dory? No, actually, I found that once I became a Christian, the battle really began. Because before, I was, an enemy, uh, I was on enemy ground. The, the, Satan had me. He had me. He owned me. He manipulated me. But now I'm Christ's. And he cares for me. He takes good care of me. Always have taken good care of me. Just like you. But it is. Narrow is the gate and difficult is the way. Don't be discouraged when things are heating up and things are difficult, folks, because listen, this is just par for the course of being a Christian. If anybody tells you, oh, come to Christ and all your problems will be solved, all of your bills will be paid, you know, everything will just be fine. You, you know, you're eating pie in the sky and, you know, sitting in your Adirondack chair eating ice cream overlooking the lake. Hey, listen, that, that, that our time is coming when we're going to be blessed and we're going to have that relaxation and we're going to have that bliss, but it's not right now. We have a bliss. I mean, it, don't get me wrong. Being in Christ is the most fulfilling thing in the world, but the world does not understand. The world does not like you. Don't be as shocked. Don't be shocked when you find that the world doesn't like you. Don't be shocked when things are against you because narrow is the gate. And notice, difficult is the way, Jesus said, which leads to life. And there are few who find it. In Luke chapter 13, he says, strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter the gate and will not be able. They won't be able to enter the gate. They have to go through Christ. There's no other way. And it is a boundary, isn't it? It is a boundary, and many people today think that a boundary is a lack of freedom, but a boundary is for our safety and our protection. You see, God knows this. He knows that we need protection. We need a boundary. The world today says, I want to be free of all that. Doesn't it sound like Psalm 2? Let's just cut the cord. Let's just cut the cord and be free from God. Let's just get away from him. Let's remove prayer from the schools. Let's allow the LGBTQ community to come in and teach story hour and drag you know, outfit. Let's allow all that. Let's just cut the cord and let's just allow all the, all the junk to come in. Let's be independent from God. Well, you know what, America? You're getting it. You are about as independent from God than ever and at any, any, uh, any other time in our history. And look around. Do you see the fruit of it? What is the fruit of it? It's judgment. It is. He puts that boundary around us for our protection. I need that protection. I remember when my daughter was little, we got her a big wheel, and we, and we have this long driveway, and there's a busy road right in front of us. And so we would put cones up at the end of the driveway, and we'd tell her, honey, you can drive anywhere on this blacktop in this area, but don't go near that area. And I remember one time, <laughs> she's driving her big wheel, and she's barreling down the thing, and I'm like, is she going to stop? You know, and cars are just flying by, they're not even paying attention. And I had to tell her one day. She got so close, I thought she was going to go out into the road. And why did I put those cones up? Is it because I'm just a mean dad? No, I put those cones up to protect her. I had to give her a boundary, and she was free within that boundary. 
But the world says, oh, no boundaries is freedom. Ah, but that's not the truth. When you have a well-defined godly boundary, that's for your good. It's for your protection. That's freedom, folks. That is freedom. Freedom is not being free from boundaries. No, we need to be hemmed in, if you will. The law is a boundary. Try going through the Browncroft here uh, at a red light, going about 100 miles an hour like we saw a few months ago, and the guy hit a curb and went airborne and flipped over on its back and skidded down here in front of Fast Track. Try disobeying the law and not obeying those signs and see what happens. Thank God that person lived. But what happens normally? Major, major trouble, sometimes even death. We know that the world is a rough and it's a dangerous place. We need to be hemmed in. We're taught to obey rules, and when we disobey and we get caught, we always think, I wished, I wished I would have listened. We need boundaries. God knows that we need boundaries. And when we look at Genesis, we saw the very first boundary that God gave to Adam. Notice what it says. The Lord took the man, took Adam, put him in the Garden of Eden to tend it and to keep it, and uh, commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it you will surely die. The boundary or the restriction was for his protection. And yet, isn't it true that every human being, due to our fallen nature, we resist boundaries? We're always testing the boundaries. Kids do this when they're young with their parents. You tell them no. You tell them no, and you say, Johnny, don't touch the stove. It's red hot. And what do they do? Do they just go, okay, and then they walk away? No. What do they do? They get right up to the burner. And they test it, and you're... (laughs) You know, you're, you're, on, you're on the edge because you're, <laughs> you're trying to teach them a lesson. They're not listening. You have to give them a boundary. But freedom is not a lack of boundaries. But it's the boundary that gives us freedom. Jesus said, most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever. But a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Are you free this morning? Are you in Christ? Are you free? I'm free. I'm so glad that I'm free. You know, sometimes I think about people who are in jail. There's there's men and women who are incarcerated, and they're, they're born again. They get saved in jail, and they're more free than the people on the outside who have freedom, but they don't have freedom. They're still a slave to their sin. They might as well be shackled up. Because they are, in a sense, and yet people on the inside are more free than those on the outside. But what did Jesus say again? Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke. Yes, a yoke. It seems like a confining thing, because when you take two animals and you yoke them, or you take two things and you you yoke them together, they got to move in the same rhythm. they got to do the same thing. And Jesus says, take my yoke. Upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We have to get into the yoke and find that there's safety, that there's blessing in that place of being yoked together with God. As Christians, we actually have freedom not to sin rather than freedom to continue in sin. The world says, Just let me do what I want. That's complete freedom. No, you're shackled. 
And before long, that sin, whatever it is, is going to shackle you, and you are going to be in chains in darkness. It's a matter of time. And you all know it because many of you were in shackles and in chains before you came to Christ. In fact, it was probably because of those shackles and chains that you finally got sick of your master, Satan. And he said, I want a new master who really cares for me. Satan could care less about you. He wants to destroy you. And anybody who's dominated by him, all they want to do is take, steal. They want to, they want to steal. They want to rob. They want to kill. They want to murder. That's all that Satan can do. What a great master he is, huh? Ah, but God says, I, I want to give you life and life more abundant. Will you receive that offer of his to be his sheep and to be taken care of like that? The more I understand the grace of God, the less likely I'm willing to take God's grace for granted, and people do it all the time. But notice in verse 1 it says, He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. Remember, he is speaking to the Pharisees at this time. And there is a right and a wrong way to approach God. It's, It's his way, not your way. It is his way. We have to go God's way. We can't make things up and say, I, I'm going to get to heaven, but I'm going to do it my way. You remember back many years ago, Frank Sinatra, I don't know if he wrote this song, but he, he made famous a song called My Way. And I actually found the lyrics to that, and I read them, and the very last verse says this. and it, it, it's, just the, it's, un, it's an unfortunate verse because it just speaks of humanism, all that man can do, and the rebellion of man. It says, For what is a man? What has he got? If not himself, then he has not to say the words he truly feels and not the words of one who kneels. The record shows I took the blows and I did it my way. My way. What what an awful thing. What an awful lyric. I did it my way, not God's way. And yet Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But no, I did it my way. And God says, you can have your way if you want. Do you want to go your way? Then go your way. I'm going, to come, I'm, going to, I'm going to interrupt your life many times, but you know there comes a point, and this is the scary part, when God will allow you to have your way. And that's a very sad day for a man or woman. But the religious leaders, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they were seeking to earn their way into the kingdom apart from Christ. They were trying to climb up some other way to get into heaven. But Jesus, remember, said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's no man who comes to the Father except through me. He is the door. Didn't he say it? He is the door. You have to go through him. It's a narrow way. It's a narrow gate. Difficult it is on that narrow path. And if you're a Christian, you know that things aren't easy. But I want you to know that God loves you. And he'll see you through on that path. These Pharisees that Jesus is speaking to, seeking to enter the kingdom of God on their own merits. But what does Romans 3 verse 20 says? By the deeds of the law, and otherwise, just even the obedience to the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Just because you do the law doesn't make you right before God. And besides, Ephesians, Paul tells them that for by grace, God's unmerited favor, have you been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, notice, not of works, lest any should boast. We can't boast. We can't do it. We can't climb up some other way. 
Just knowing about things is not good enough. Your heart has to be one. Your heart has to be engaged with Christ. You have to be born again. Isn't that what the Bible says? You must be born again. All right, is there anybody here not born again? Any, any of you today that are, are just curious, or, or maybe, you're, maybe you're wondering, I don't know if I am. Well, listen, why, why live in jeopardy any longer? Today, make that happen. It's simple for the asking, and the Lord wants you to come to him. He doesn't want you to be that sheep that's off in the dead. Have you ever been lost? Seriously, how long has it been? Do you remember the day? Maybe you were a little kid and you were in the supermarket with your mom or dad and you, were, you got lost. Somehow you walked away from them. They didn't know where you were. They were panicked. They were freaking out and you were lost. Or maybe you were lost somewhere else and you're like, maybe you're in the woods. You took a walk. You don't know where, you know, before the GPS and all that other stuff and you got lost. Have you ever felt that way? Have you been in a position like that? Do you know how horrible that is? That's the most unsettling feeling in the world, to be completely lost. And humanity is lost. Men and women lost, and yet God wants to bring you into his fold. In Isaiah chapter 60, speaking of the millennium coming to us, and the the temple that will be built at that time, I love what it says. It says, violence shall no longer be heard in your land, neither wasting nor destruction within your borders, but you shall call your walls salvation and your gates praise. Isn't that what the walls are? Isn't that what the confining is? Those are salvation. That's for your good. That's for your good. And and the gates praise. And after the millennium, when God creates a new heaven and a new earth, Remember the walls of the New Jerusalem? We looked at this in Revelation 21 um, months ago. Speaking of the New Jerusalem, it gives us the dimensions of it. It says the city is laid out as four square. Its length is as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. Its length, breadth, and height are equal. 12,000 furlongs is roughly 1,360 miles in length, width, and height. I mean, if you were to look at America... And, 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 and I mean, that, that's, that's about the, 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 the dimensions of it. I don't know exactly how that's going to look in the New Jerusalem, but that's what it says. And what is it? It's a boundary. It's a place for the people of God, all of the redeemed. And believe me, there's going to be plenty of space for everyone, much, much space. Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would tell you. But he's coming. He's going to take us. But back in our text in verse 2, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep, and to him the doorkeeper opens. Notice, and the sheep hear his voice. Do you remember that shepherd, that little video clip as he's making the noise? I don't know what the relationship with that shepherd is, but most shepherds, when they make those little noises, the sheep come running. Maybe the sheep was apprehensive. Maybe there was... Who knows what was going on? But a sheep will listen to the voice of the shepherd. And there's nothing like the sweet voice of Jesus. Have you experienced the voice of God speaking to you? When you're in the word quietly, maybe when you're in prayer, maybe just in the still, small voice in your heart, the Lord encouraging you to do something, to say something. And it's such a sweet voice. It's not a thundering angry voice. It's a still, small voice. He doesn't compel us. He doesn't make us do anything. 
See, that's what a good shepherd does. A good shepherd doesn't beat the sheep. He doesn't yell at the sheep. And the sheep hear his voice. I remember back in 2011, we were in Israel. And the tour bus was, we were in Jerusalem. We were staying at Ramat Rachel. It's, a, it's a, like a kibbutz, a very nice hotel. And we were going from there, and I, I forget where it was. We might have been going down to the Dead Sea that day. And then we went through Bethlehem, and, and our bus is going down the hill, and we're going through all these just beautiful landscapes, pastures, and everything else, rocky areas. And impromptu, the, our, our tour guide at the time, he says, stop the bus. So the bus driver pulls over, and we look off, and we see this little cloud coming toward us, and it was a shepherd, two teenage, uh, a teenage girl and a teenage boy, and they were shepherding this flock of sheep, probably 30, 40, 50 of them, something like that. And they saw the bus pull over, and so they all came toward us, and the shepherd was leading them. And as he's walking, he's making these noises, and the sheep are following him to a bunch of strangers, a bunch of New Yorkers. You know, and we got that euphoric look on our face, you know, like we're in Israel, and, and, and this is the real deal. I mean, this is the land, and the, the, here's these sheep, and we're seeing the, the, young, the young boy, you know, like, making these noises, and these sheep are coming over. And I'll never forget this moment. It was, it was a beautiful moment. It was impromptu, and that's what made, made it even more special. But there was one lady, and I, I'm sorry I'm digressing on this, but there was one lady on our tour that time. Her name was Thelma, and she was a wheelchair. She was in a wheelchair. And I remember we got her off the bus, and we sat her there, and these sheep were coming all around her. And it was the sweetest moment. But I was listening to the shepherd. He was making all these noises. And, of course, he, he, he made it rich that day because every one of us are getting pictures with the sheep and little videos, and we're handing him a dollar, two dollars, five dollar bills in cash. I mean, this kid was, like, loaded. Before we all left, he was, like, you know, wearing an Armani suit by the time we left. But when he left, it was so interesting. When it was done, he just started walking and started making those noises, those little noises that each of the sheep knew. And those sheep just followed him. Not one of them stayed behind. They all followed him. The time was over, and they just followed him. And I thought to myself, wow, that is awesome. That's the voice of God, in a sense, to us. Notice the intimacy. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. The intimacy that, that God has, that the shepherd has with the sheep, that God has with us. And he gives them a name, and he leads them out. I wonder what some of the names may be of us that he might have for us. Maybe dopey, maybe sleepy, sneezy, grumpy, happy, bashful. What's your name? What name would God give you? I'm afraid of what he would give me. But you, rem you remember in the book of Revelation, it says in Revelation 2, verse 17, speaking to the church of Pergamos, Jesus, writing the letter to them, says, He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat, and I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name, written which no one knows, or I'm sorry, on the stone a new name, written which no one knows except him who receives it. See, that's God, the great shepherd, knowing us by name. And even when we're with him, he's going to give us a new name. I wonder what that new name will be for us. Whatever it is, it'll be characteristic. It'll be individual. It'll be unique. 
And why? Because God knows you. He knows me individually, intimately. And the name that he gives us on that white stone at that day will mean everything to us because it'll be who God looks at us and he says, you know what? This is who you are. And it's going to be a name that's going to extol the virtues of who you have become in Christ. And I like that. And he will receive glory as a result of that too, won't, won't he? Notice in verse 4, And when he brings out his sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Unlike many leaders today, notice Jesus lived the example. He lived the example. He walked the example before people. He didn't say, do what I do, but, you know, or, or do what I say, but don't do as I do. No, Jesus did what he said that he preached. What he preached, he did. That's important, isn't it? Because you can tell your children, honey, don't smoke when you're a teenager, or don't smoke when you get older, and yet you smoke. You can tell them all you can, all, you can till you're blue in the face, honey, don't do this, but if they see you doing it, they're going to do it. Chances are. Because the truth of it is not real to you. And if it's not real to you, why should it be real to them? So the impetus really then is on us as shepherds, if you have children. And even if you don't have children, notice that there's children all around this church. And there's children all around you and your families and your friends, your extended family. There's kids, there's children. You need to be a shepherd. Be a faithful, be a good shepherd for those kids. Be the example for them, right? Be willing to do and, and follow what you preach. To do the things. And don't be condemned when you make a mistake, when you sin. You just confess it and get up and keep walking, right? But even Jesus, he didn't come to be served. He says, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus, as the good shepherd, laid down his life for each of us. And when Jesus comes back at his second coming, we looked at this months ago when we were in the last part of Revelation. When Jesus returns in his second coming, notice who's leading and who's following what does it say in Revelation? I saw in heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. And I think of horses now, and I think of those Border Patrol guys. Love that. It looked like a Marlboro commercial. Sorry to say that, but you know, you see them out there, and the necks of the horses, and the guys are reaching down, you know, and it just uh, it looked very um, iconic. But when Jesus returns, he's coming back on a white horse. And his name is faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. And his eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood. His name is called the Word of God. And notice the armies in heaven, clothed in heaven, clothed in fine linen, excuse me. Yeah, clothed in heaven, clothed with heaven. That's pretty good. Yeah. White and clean, they followed him on white horses. They followed him on white horses. He's the shepherd. Even when he returns, he comes, we follow. I like that. Do you follow Jesus? Are you following him? Are you following your own plan? Are you following somebody else? I want to encourage you to follow Jesus. It's the only safe thing. It's the only blessed way. Narrow is the way. Narrow is the gate. Narrow and difficult it is, but oh, you're going to be blessed. 
And if you're on that path already, don't give up. Don't be discouraged. You keep staying on that path. He's the one who keeps you on the path. You abide in him, and he will keep you on that path, even when you're distraught and discouraged and angry and confused and frustrated. You just stay on the path. You just stay on the path. Abide in him. And our text says, yet, verse 5, yet they will by no means follow a stranger. If I walked up to that group of, of sheep when we were in Bethlehem, if the shepherd sat down and I started making noises, and I've actually seen this happen, you know, someone thinks, well, I can get the, sheep's, the sheep attention, right? So someone else will start making, you know, clicking their fingers or making some noise. The sheep look at them and go, who are you? You don't feed us. You don't take the, you know, you don't put the medicine around my eyes. You don't pick the ticks and the fleas off me. You don't shorn me when it's hot. Who are you? What have you done for me lately? The sheep looks at you like, who are you? I'm not going to listen to you. I've got a shepherd who cares for me. Why am I, why do I, I'm wasting my time. You're wasting my time. And that's the way a sheep is. That's the way we should be. As believers, we shouldn't follow the voice of strangers. But as a true believer, we should follow Christ. It's interesting that when we abide in Him, in Christ, and we are daily in the Word, daily in prayer, daily reading the Word, that when you hear false doctrine, when you hear false teaching, it sticks out, doesn't it? It sticks out. You know the voice of your Savior. You know the voice of God. The voice of God is never going to go against His Word. It's going to be right in line with it. So if you are hearing a voice in your head that says, no, it's okay to do this wrong thing, whatever it is, you can know that that's not the voice of God. If it violates the Word of God, it is not of God. I don't care how holy the circumstance may be. You could be standing in a pool of holy water with uh, the crucifix hanging around your neck. I don't care what it is. If, if that voice is encouraging you to do anything but what is revealed here in the Word of God, then it is not the voice of God, period. And how did Abraham do it? He knew the voice of God. You know what really startles me? is in Genesis 22, remember. He took Isaac, his only begotten son, his only son, and God told him prior to this in chapters before, the many promises that God had given to him that through his seed, all the nations of the world would be blessed. In his seed, and Isaac was the only one at that time. The only chosen one at the time. He says, through Isaac. And then he gives him that promise, and then he tells him, in Genesis 22, it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And he said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, which is the temple area today in, in Jerusalem. Go to the land of Moriah and offer him, offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I will show you. Are you kidding me? Abraham knew that this was the custom of the pagan nations around them. In fact, that's the reason why God would bring judgment upon those pagan nations, because they would sacrifice human beings on the altar to their false gods. And now, God, you're telling me this? The thing that blows me away is that he knew it was God's voice, and yet God was testing him. God says, I want you to take your only son and go sacrifice him on an altar for a burnt offering. I'll show it to you when you get there. And Abraham knew the voice of God enough to say, I know that that's, that's his voice. I know it because I've heard it many times. I don't understand it. 
God, you must be up to something. But I'm going to be obedient to you because I know that voice. That voice is the same one that brought me out of Ur of the Chaldees. That's the same voice that brought me to Haran and brought me from Haran all the way down into the land of Canaan. I know that voice because the relationship is there. The voice. I recognize the voice. And he did it. He did it. I don't know that I could have done it. This passage brings me to the end of myself. It does. It brings me to tears. Think of if God asked you to do that. You better be confident that that's God's voice. But Abraham was. Why? Because he had the relationship, a long relationship with God. He knew the voice. And the shepherd, the sheep know the shepherd's voice. Abraham knew the voice of God, didn't disobey him, but rather obeyed him. And when you listen and obey the Lord, listen, you are not going to be a friend of the world. In fact, in John 15, it says this, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Hey, listen, the world loves it when a Christian goes to their side. When a pastor or a teacher in the Christian church all of a sudden embraces homosexuality and say, it's okay, it's love after all. No. It's not us, up to us to define what love is. God told us what love is. He also told us what marriage is. And we better obey that. Otherwise, we will suffer judgment. And there are people all around us that are listening to that voice And unfortunately, a false shepherd saying, it's okay, it's okay, it's love. No, you don't have the right to define love and you don't have the right to define marriage. It's all written for us. It's right, and you know it in your heart. You know it in your heart, don't you? I don't know, do you? Yeah, yeah, we do. In John 17, he says, I have given them your word, the Lord speaks to Jehovah, his Father, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify them by your word. Your word is truth. That's what this is. That's what sanctification is. I read this, and I appropriate it into my own life. I I read it, and I listen to it. I obey it. That's what I've got to do. And I not only do it for myself, but I do it for my family. I obey what's in here, hopefully. And believe me, I've made a lot of mistakes. Can anybody attest to making mistakes? I make mistakes. But hopefully we learn from them and go on, right? We must do that. In 1 Corinthians 2, it says, Now we have received, Paul tells them, not the spirit of the world. The spirit of the world is embracing all of these things. But the spirit who is from God, that we may know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words. 
which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Notice, the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. I was that man before I came to Christ. People told me all the time about Christ and told me all about these things. They meant nothing to me. It's foolishness to me. Until God opened my heart and my mind. The miracle of miracles. I don't know how that happened. I don't think I had anything to do with it. I'm sure of it. Why is it? How is it that I can be in gross sin and error and then the next minute the, the, the Lord comes upon me by his spirit and I know that I'm a sinner. I've sinned and I know that I've been forgiven. How is that possible? It is such a mystery, such a wonderful mystery. I don't even try to figure it out because I can't. I, had nothing, I felt like I had nothing to do with it. How glad are you are to be saved today? I'm so glad that I'm in the fold. Are you glad you're in the fold where there's boundaries? I'm not only being, I'm, not only, I'm being protected from the outside and I'm being loved on the inside. I'm being cared for. I love that. In Matthew 13, it's interesting because, remember, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees at this point. And he's bringing great conviction upon them because they thought that they saw. They thought that they were spiritually enlightened, that they saw spiritual things and were involved in spiritual things. And Jesus, in Matthew 13, he quotes Isaiah chapter 6, verse 9 and 10. He says, therefore, I spoke to them in parables. And he's speaking one to them now. Metaphorically, he's speaking, I am the shepherd, I am the door, I am the, I am the good shepherd. He's speaking to them in parables. Why? I spoke to them in parables because seeing they do not see, and hearing they don't hear, nor do they understand. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear, and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing, their eyes have been closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn that I should heal them. God wanted to heal them, but they turned off the spigot. They turned off the spout where the blessings come out. Do you want to be under the spigot where the blessings come out? I do. I want to stand right in the center of it. Remember when you were kids and the rain was coming down and you went under the awning that was broken on the side of your house? And the rain was just gushing out of that and just coming down like a torrent. And the lightning is bolting all around. You're just like, <laughs> you, know, you're, you know, your parents are screaming, what are you doing out there? And you're standing there underneath this fountain that's just blasting you. I want to be under that fountain of God where the blessings come out. And I want to make sure that thing's wide open. I don't want to turn the lever and, and, and cut it off. I want it all. Do you want it all? Do you want all that God has for you? He loves you. He wants to bless you. He doesn't want to restrict you. He doesn't want to take your freedom away. Actually, he wants to give you freedom. And true freedom is abiding in him. True freedom is being within his fold. As a sheep, I'm so happy to be in the fold. Jesus said in verse 7, he said to them again, Assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. I am the door of the sheep. And if you remember... In the Gospel of John, there were a total of seven I am statements. And in this chapter alone, in chapter 10, we're going to see the third and the fourth one. The first one is, I am the door 
I am the door of the sheep. Jesus, ascribing deity to himself, I am the door of the sheep. And then he's going to say in verse 11 and in verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. And here he is, I am the door. There's only one way in and one way out, and it's through me. There's no other way. The wall is too high. And when you go to Israel today, you see the remnants of these things. Even in Israel today, you look out in the field as we're traveling around the bus, and you'll see these rock piles about that high. Some are like that, some are like that. And the conies, those little rock badgers, are all over in those places hiding. And you see them, little cute, they look like little uh, like groundhogs, but they look like uh, a cross between a demon and a groundhog. I don't know how to, but, but, they, but they're all in there. But they're all over the place, these, these rock formations, these old pens. Verse 8, and whoever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. Did not hear them. When anyone or anyone, when, when, whether it's us or anyone else, tries to enter the kingdom of God except through Christ, that person is a thief and a robber. They will not be permitted entrance. And the thieves and the robbers at this time were the scribes and the Pharisees, the false religious leaders. They were to be the ones who were to be telling them and encouraging them, but instead, they were the problem. And God seems to deal with religious people who are in, a, in, in places of authority. To whom much is given, much is required, right? So it's important that whoever it is that's standing and speaking, and this is really, uh, the finger's pointing right at me too, how important it is then to tell the truth. To tell the truth. Jesus said, verse 9, I am the door, and if anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Notice anyone enters by me notice he didn't say if anyone enters by muhammad if anyone enters by buddha if anyone enters by charles taz russell if anyone enters by brigham young whoever it may be no 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 if anyone enters by me they will be saved and what am i saying those people who are in those uh, other cults are, are they right now are they um in a bad place absolutely they are in a bad place but God loves them too. He wants them to come to his fold. Why? Because he's a good shepherd. He doesn't think like you and I do. It's not just some club, and if you're not part of our club, well, we're just, we'll treat you horribly. No, even if you're not part of our club, <laughs> hey, listen, you need to come to Christ. It doesn't matter what you're from. It doesn't matter whether you're Republican or Democrat or Independent. It doesn't matter whether you're, whether you're formerly gay, whether you're whatever it may be. You come and you be changed along with us. We're being changed. Even as we sit here this morning, we're being changed as we read the Word of God. Amen? I love it. Don't you love it? It's just melting my heart. And it's just conforming me to the image of Jesus. Only through the door... I am the door, and if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Let's read uh, the next verse, and then we'll stop there, because when we get to verse 11, we'll pick up there next week. But notice, in verse 10, continuing on, he says, The thief, 
He doesn't come except to steal and to kill and to, and to destroy. And I have come that they may have life, that they may have life more abundant. More abundant. See, that's what God wants for us. He wants life. He wants to give us life. Let's stand together. I want you to know how much the Lord loves you. And some of you have been going through untold difficulties, health issues, things going on in your family, things, pressures, even currently with the whole mandate and the job loss and the fear of losing your livelihood over something that's 99.8. Survival rate doesn't make sense, does it? But some of you are, are racked with these things and, you, and you're, everything is being put up on its end. But I want you to know today that God knows what you're going through. And he cares about what you're going through. And it breaks his heart to see his people, like sheep, we all are, nervous, anxious. What did it tell us in Psalm 23? He leads us by the, you know, beside the, beside the, the pastures of green and beside the still waters. And I think even in spite of the turmoil that you may be feeling, you may be going through, I would encourage you to get alone with the Lord and let him restore to you the joy again. Let him restore to you and remove the angst and the frustration and all the anger because I, for one, have been so angry. I really need to let go of it because it's, it's really harming me. I'm hurt just like you. I need the shepherd. The great and the good shepherd of the sheep to come and soften my heart again and to restore to me the joy again. And I pray that he'll do the same for you. You are loved and you will always be loved regardless of what you're going through. Know that he cares. Reach out to him. Get in that quiet place and be restored. Be refreshed. Be renewed and, and encouraged again. Father, how we thank you for this morning. Thank you that you are the good shepherd, Lord. Lead us, Jesus. And everything that we go through, Lord, and we know that you've been leading, and we pray you continue to lead us. Lead us in places we've never been before. And right now, Lord, we are in uncharted territory. We've been in uncharted territory for a year and a half, almost two years now. We need you, Lord. Would you please come? Come and rescue the bride of Christ. And rescue those who, at this moment, are still resisting you, still on the outside of the fold, resisting. Lord, how we pray that you would come and rescue and restore and renew us in Jesus name amen amen god bless you